Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Today we're going to be looking at a part of this Parsha that we didn't read just now. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50 verses 15 through 21. And I want us to focus on, it's interesting that both this morning and today, I'm not bringing you as many commentaries. I'm really focusing on the the source itself. I really want us to focus on what is happening here. Um, the language is, isn't complicated, but the lack of pronouns uh, is makes us wonder kind of who are the characters, who is this coming from, who is this going to? So we're going to take verses in chunks. It's not that many verses. It's seven verses. But we're going to take them in chunks to really understand what's going on here and to think a little bit about what Joseph, what Joseph is going through and what the brothers are, are kind of doing to him in a way. So the first verse is verse 15, again, chapter 50 of Genesis. And it says, Vayre'u ache Yosef kimet avihem. And the brothers of Joseph saw that that uh, his that well that their their father died. Um, it's interesting that it says Joseph's brothers, but it says their father, right? So so the the subject here is is um, is changing with how we relate to the brothers or to Jacob. Vayamru Lu. Lou is a word that if you want to, I'm sure, I'm sure Larry has 17 books in front of him that he can tell us what it means, but it's a word that's never used again and, and means pen, means like lest you shall. So the commentators have a great time talking about why is Lou used here? So just so you know, Vayamru Lou, that's not a typo. Istemenu Yosef, Vehashev Yashiv Lanu, et kol asher gamalnu oto. So, what if Joseph still has this grudge against us and kind of gets back at us for all the things that we did to him, right? Their father, Jacob, is now gone. So Joseph is a free agent to work against his brothers if he wants to bring that out on them. Two more verses and then I'll take your take your commentaries. Vayatzvu el Yosef lemor, lemor. So they sent this message back to Joseph and they said, before his death, before Jacob's death, your father, again, they're referring to Jacob as only Joseph's father, which is interesting. Your father left this instruction. Okay, just keep this in mind. And I'm just going to read this part in, in the English. This was the instruction. So shall you say to Joseph, forgive, I urge you, the offense and guilt of your brothers who treated you so harshly. Therefore, please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph was in tears as they spoke to him. So what's happening here? Who in, I say this to my sixth graders all the time, who can tell me in their own words what just happened in our Torah? What happened? You can just unmute and tell us. Yeah, Marlies. Okay, I think Gary wanted to say first. Same thing. They're, They're... They are, um, they're scared, they're nervous, Okay. and they don't know quite what's going to happen. Right. And they are setting up a good, a good reason why nothing should happen. Okay. I, and what do the brothers do to kind of save their tuchases and make sure that nothing happens? Well, they, they, they tell um, 
they tell they tell him that their father had uh who's also joseph's father left an instruction for him not to not to bear a grudge against them right Right, exactly. which makes me wonder if it's really true but (laughs) yes right (laughs) makes me wonder if it's really true too there's no point in our torah that we hear this instruction from jacob right we don't hear jacob say to the brothers now of course there are many moments in torah that we probably are not privy to but this would be one that, according to how the Torah is written in other places, that we probably would have known about to be able to then say, oh, right, of course, we can turn back to chapter whatever, verse whatever. This is where Jacob says that. Jacob doesn't say this anywhere. This doesn't. Are we, are we presuming that, ja- ja- I presume, ja- I always thought Jacob didn't know that the brothers did this. That Jacob didn't know the brothers did what? To put him in the pit. So now this seems to assume that the father knew. Right, right. No, that's that's exactly right. That we assume that Jacob, if Jacob had known that the brothers had thrown him into a pit, yeah. we would have hoped that Jacob would have said a few things about that or that he would have punished his children and said, this isn't how you treat your sibling. But we assume, rightfully so, Brent, that, that he didn't know. And so how could he have said all of this if he didn't know that that actually happened? Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of confusion here about how Jacob could have possibly said this to the brothers. And as Marlies pointed out, then we just have to assume that the brothers are making this up to kind of be, be in the, be in a good place with Joseph. Yeah, Larry. So it's not so long ago that we studied this with Rabbi Klinkfeld. Oh, great. Marshall probably has better memory of this than I do. (laughs) Um, So you have to think of it in terms of the, Okay, Stevie, that's my uh, son's dog. Um, she has an opinion. Wants- she has an opinion, is right. Oh, in she- any case, um, but it's a- hold on one second. El Yosef. In other words, they didn't tell Joseph himself. They sent a messenger to Joseph. Right. All this is taking. All this is being intermediated by by this by this messenger. Great. And so you asked the question about that they said before his death, your father left this instruction, but that would make perfect sense if it were a messenger saying, saying exactly that. Why would it make perfect sense? Because it's not the brothers. It's the messenger saying this. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying that the messenger could have been the one to, to craft this? Not to craft it, but those are the words that they sent with the messenger they said got it got it got it okay now i understand what you're saying you tell him this you say before his death your father left his instruction he says okay i go to the two brothers and i say i go i go to joseph and i say before your before his death your father left this instruction forgive you i urge you he just continues yeah so hearing it from the mouth of the messenger to me sounds very different from hearing it from the mouth of joseph for sure for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And and I hadn't focused that it could have been, you know, secondhand, so to speak. But it, but you're right that it's possible, especially because we know that when when a messenger is involved, right, we don't know. Did Rabbi Klickfeld talk about was this a human messenger or was this an angel? Did that come up? I don't remember. I don't think so. But just to make my last point, then I'll end, I'll end with what I'm thinking. Yeah. If you imagine it's the messenger and it's not Joseph. Yeah. Joseph's got to take it quite seriously. In fact, I don't think that there's anything in the message 
that suggests, at least in Hebrew, that your brothers told me to tell you this message that, the, that your father said to, to, to them, does it? So he can actually believe that this is a message that was left and he was a witness to this by Yaakov. And of course, he takes it seriously. So maybe he wouldn't, in the narrative, be quite so um, cynical about why they were telling him, why he was being told this story by whomever was telling him this story. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that he's cynical at all, right? He starts crying. So he feels this, he feels like this is a message coming at him that is truthful. I think I'm the one being cynical. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, Marshall's going to help me. It's commonly a common commentary that he's crying because, I don't know if it's common, he's crying because he was weeping that they had so little faith in him that they would invent this story. In other words, your oh. cynicism, I think, is a very common. I think it's a very common commentary. It's interesting because I found a different commentary that kind of goes in the opposite direction of that. So that's interesting. I I like that commentary a lot. Um, That, I mean, the Tor HaRuch starts that way, but then it can, so we can go into this now, I guess. The Tor HaRuch says, his commentary is that Joseph cries when he realizes that they that they thought that he would go against them, which is what you're saying, Larry, um, that they were harboring hostile thoughts against against them. The verse is proof that Joseph had never informed Yaakov that the brothers had sold him. For if Yaakov had been aware of it, he would have ordered Joseph not to hold a grudge against his brothers on the account and to make up with them. Right? So, so this is, this is this, moment where we recognize that there are chains in this communication that are broken, that we don't know what Jacob knew, what Jacob didn't know, that this, that the crying is that potential, as as I mentioned before, it starts the way that, that the commentary that you're sharing starts as well, that he feels badly that they might not know um, that he will wants to be kind towards them. But then it goes one step further, which is what caught my eye about this commentary, which is that he's recognizing in his own grief that he didn't, that his father didn't know his whole story, that he didn't know everything that had happened to him and that happened to him because of his brothers. And whether or not that would have changed things, when you lose someone, you often think about all those things that you didn't get to tell them or they didn't know about you and how much you wish you could have told them. Um, I the, the one, and then I'll call on the two other people who had their hands up. The one thing that I, that I am skeptical about um, the, the messenger kind of idea of this is that the sentence before makes it seem so clear that the brothers are nervous about this, and then conveniently there's this message that is sent. And so I guess in my own reading, without thinking through a messenger being like a shaliach, right, because they don't use that word, that this would be a moment where the brothers wouldn't just concoct something so that they could be in better graces with their brother. But I... I... I am humbled by the idea that it possibly is someone else and that they could have all been very kind, wonderful people who had not, who had not taken that on um, to try to change their relationship with Joseph. I think it's a very interesting read. Um, Joanna, you had your hand up and then Joshua and then Marshall, lots of commentaries. Yeah. Um, So I think there's another bit of proof that um, in the Parsha that um, Yaakov 
did not know what the brothers had done to Yosef. And that's in the so-called blessings that he gives to that poetic passage of the so-called blessings that he gives to his um, children, because they're not all actually blessings. And he has no problem there calling Reuven, Shimon, and Levi out for bad things that they had done. So had he known, presumably that would have worked its way into that passage of his final parting words to his children and we see no reference of it there that's a great point i hadn't thought about that um does everybody know what what passage joanna's talking about when they when he goes through the list of names and the names usually have to do with some poetic read um of both their name but what will come from them and joseph being thrown in a pit doesn't come up okay josh and then marshall Hi, uh, Rabbi Schatz. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Hi, everyone. Uh, first time here. First of all, lovely Minka service. Thanks so much for holding this space. Um, this is one of my favorite parshas and stories in the whole Tanakh. Um, and I've every year I studied, I, it has a lot of ambiguity, which I love, you know, learning about that. So I had a couple of thoughts yep. to kind of pick, piggyback on one of the, the messenger idea. If anyone's pl played the game Whisper Down the Lane, um, you know, like by the first person, the last person, it's a totally different message. So one thought is maybe that they gave this message to the messenger and the messenger gave a different message. Or, so that was one thought that I might kind of see that. My other thought was, I don't have the text in front of me, but it, but it seems like there's a couple different timelines going on here. So my other thought I wanted to share was maybe Yaakov didn't know at the time, like he was in the pit did, that he didn't know then, but then he like realizes it later. And that's why he's crying, you know, maybe that, that he realizes it later that it like comes, you know, he figures it out later, but he didn't know it at the time. So that was kind of a thought. Yeah, we're definitely, and welcome, so nice to have you. Um, and you pronounced my name correctly, so you get an extra gold star. Um, th this, is, this is a moment where, yeah, we're not really sure kind of, other than the fact that we know that this happens post-Jacob um, dying, we don't really know... Is it immediate? Is it a few weeks later? Is is part of this happening right as he dies, and then the message, the message comes later on? We don't really know when that's happening, and the tears that you are that you're that you're um, uh, kind of extrapolating from are on uh, is that from that we are able to see that that grief is still being held, right? That we whether or not it happened right after or. or or later on, the the fact that he still feels that grief, or potentially based on the commentaries that that uh, Larry brought up for us, that we are we are meant to think that he also feels badly that his brothers might think of him in a in a poor light. Um, so yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of. Unfortunately, the tour does that a lot, but we're seeing a lot of timelines happening all around here. Um, Marshall, you want to add something, and then we'll go to the next few verses. Well, I, I don't know where the idea of a messenger comes in at all. Um, I don't see the word shaliach. I don't see the word malach or anything there. Robert Alter doesn't even use that that phrase. Um, let me just start with verse 15 with Alter, then 16, and you'll see my point. Right. So, and Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, quote, if Joseph bears resentment, resentment against us, he will surely pay us back for all the evil we caused him, unquote. And they charged Joseph, Joseph saying, you, your, quote, your father left a charge before his death saying, thus shall you say to Joseph, 
we beseech you, forgive, pray the crime and the offense of your brothers for evil they have caused you. And so now forgive, pray the crime of the servants, your father's God. So it seemed to me that they are direct, they are in direct contact with, with Joseph. There's no intermediary here. Now, they alter has a footnote, though, which I don't know where he gets it from. Maybe someone can tell me where he says, in any case, they send this message to an intermediary for only in verse 18 are they represented as coming before Joseph. So maybe because, but there's ain muktamu mi'uchar Torah, right? So why is it, you know, they were standing on the side there. So they said to him, listen, this is what our, our father told us. Right, you know. right. I, um, I'm glad that you pointed it out, and Larry clearly has a rebuttal. Um, so the the thing that that struck me also from the interpretation of there being messenger is that it very clearly says "vayitzavu el Yosef," which which I guess could mean any other people, right? It could mean a group of others commanded this or or told this or um, said this to Yosef, but it seems because again, it comes right after verse 15, which you just read beautifully. It seems like it would be that if we're talking about the, they of the brothers in that verse, that it would be the, they of the brothers, uh, in the next verse. But Larry explain to us the, the connection here. Yeah. It's all tied up in that preposition L and I don't have, I don't have my Torah Chaim here cause it's still in the shul since March. Oh wow! For, for for sheet, and I can't get in to, to get it. Yeah. The Torah Chaim has a, has all the different comment, well, many different commentaries yeah. uh, on the page, yeah. and I'm not looking at Safaria until after Shabbat. But um, I'm pretty sure that there was a long conversation about that, mm-hmm. and it, it all hinged on M. Can I just say one more thing before we go to the next commentary? Sure. I hadn't thought of this in our discussion several months back. Um, in the rabbi's Rashi class. But this is fascinating because we don't know. We, as the readers, are not exactly sure because we didn't, we don't know everything that happened. What Yaakov knew, we don't know what the brothers did or said uh, outside of what's described. And we don't know what Yosef knew. But the brothers don't know what transpired between Yosef and Yaakov. We talked about that in the class, that I remember. They don't know because Yaakov may have had different conversations with Yosef and they, they were party to. Mm-hmm. And the, the brothers also don't know what Yosef might know from other sources. Mm-hmm. And I could go on and on and on. And if you traced every tree of what people know, you would come up with a huge number of variations. All the actors are acting in a way which may or may not be consistent with what the other actors know or what they think they know. Mm-hmm. And isn't that really the way life is? We act thinking that we know what someone else knows, but we may be wrong, and they respond to what we've done or said based upon what they think that we know or even a third party knows. Right. So taking this all at once, his crying may be simply a crying about the truth is why should we suspect each other about anything? Right. Going back to what you said earlier this morning, yeah. we're brothers. We want to act as brothers and not to act as suspicious adversaries. Yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful. That's a beautiful drash on it, and I I want to think that that is why Joseph was in tears as well. Um, that 
that he, first of all, Joseph has many moments of tears and hugging and, he, and we see him as a very compassionate um, and um, just touchy feely guy. Um, and this is a moment where the tears are not necessarily as explainable, right? As the moment, like when he's hugging his brothers or when he cries on Benjamin's neck, it's, it's a very different moment because these tears are coming and then they kind of go away. And I, I read them exactly the same way, Larry, that I, I think that these are tears of loss on all sides, loss with the brothers, loss with the father, loss with the idea of that unity that I talked about this morning, that was just a lack in their life completely. Um, and so he's in tears as he, as he speaks back to them after they, they share this message. I'm going to go on. I see that two of you still want to speak, but I'm going to go on just so we can get to these verses and then feel free to, feel free to share afterwards. So his brothers, right, Joseph's brothers, went to him themselves, flung themselves before him and said, we are prepared to be your slaves. Okay, so now, based on this message, which we would have thought would have cleared everything up, now all of a sudden they're kind of succumbing to what they thought in the first verse, right? That he might think that he needs to be powerful over them. And all of a sudden they're playing out that piece. So that is also a confusing thing here. And it says, Vayomer alehem Yosef, ki But Joseph says to them, don't, don't see me like I'm second in command to God, right? It says, am I a substitute for God? Right? Am I, am I now God in your eyes? Besides, although you intended me harm, God intended it for good. This is, this might be, I'm all confused because I shared some of these verses this morning. This is either the first time or the second time that Joseph says this. To, this is the first time because the second time comes at the end of the Parsha. This is the first time that Joseph, that Joseph brings up this point that he's going to bring up again of God did this for a reason. Don't be so hard on yourselves, right? God knew what was in the plan for me to be above you so that later on I could help you. So although you intended me harm, Joseph says, God intended it for good. So as to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So he brings in a little bit of his Josephness there, right? I'm not just doing good for you. I'm also doing good for everybody else, which obviously is wonderful. It's just a little bit, little bit haughty of him to say. Ve'ata al tirau anochi achalkel etchem ve'etapchem ve'enachem otam ve'edaber al libam. And I love this phrase, ve'edaber al libam. I think it's a beautiful phrase. And so fear not. I will, and it's really, and now you shall not fear. I will sustain you and your children. So he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So based on what we saw in the first three verses, what happens in these last four verses? What What's the relationship that's going on here? Yeah, Brent. I was going to say that I, you know, I'm, I've been looking at this book, Tversky on Humash the psychiatrist, and he makes a point that a person should be able to accept forgiveness and a punishment of kindness can be more painful than a lashing. In other words, he's punishing them with kindness, and that's hard to accept. Sure. That they did this awful thing, and what the psychiatrist rabbi is saying, it's easier to, they're expecting to be punished. They don't like this kindness. It's not what they, it's harder to accept than the actual punishment for what they did 
And that's a struggle for the brothers. That's what this psychiatrist is pointing out. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating point and one that we see in TV all the time, right? When a character does something wrong and he goes up to the offender and he says, punch me, just punch me, right? He's asking for it because he knows that if he gets hurt in the way that he that he feels like he should based on his actions, I'm saying he, it could be she, obviously, that that somehow that will go away. It'll be alleviated. That that guilt will be will go away. The thing that sticks out to me here about this part, and it, and it plays a little bit into that, I guess, that the that Joseph really now turns this on to don't don't worry about the past. Let's just get through the future, right? This is so much less about the brothers still being concerned about what Joseph is going to think. And now making, not making Joseph into God, but making Joseph into a character that can heal all of this. And it's possible, according to Rabbi Torsky, that this, that that's not what they wanted. But Joseph at least is trying to say, okay, let's get past this. We've been through this before. We've been divided before. Let's just come together. Our father has died. Let's figure out a way in which we can move on from this. And the brothers can't get around that. They don't know how to get out of this um, really paralyzing moment of we did something bad to you. Don't you don't you want to do something to us? Don't you want to somehow cause us some kind of pain? Does anybody else have any other thoughts here before we kind of wrap it all up? I'm going to read one more commentary, but before we wrap it up. Okay, so this other commentary is Rabbeinu Bachia, and it's on um, the it's on the verse seventeen, but it's a nice um, kind of closer, and so that's why I wanted to bring it in this after we had read the other verses as well. So it says, Joseph wept when they were speaking to him. As soon as the brothers mentioned the name of their father Joseph, he started weeping. It was due to the great love he had for his now departed father. This stirred his sense of compassion, especially seeing that his brothers asked for his forgiveness. The Torah does not spell out that Joseph actually forgave his brothers. Our sages in the Talmud and Baba Kama say that if a person has wronged his fellow and regrets this wrong and determines not to act in the manner in which he's offended, he's done something, he says he'll never do it again, he, has not, he is not forgiven by God until after he has made an effort to obtain forgiveness by the person who he offended. At any rate, the Torah is not on record anywhere that Joseph did forgive his brothers. The wording before us appears to make God's forgiveness conditional on Joseph's forgiveness. In other words, if you, Joseph, forgive the sin of the brothers against you, then I, God, will be able to forgive their sin, seeing they are servants of the same God as your father, Yaakov. The concise meaning of the verse, Rabbi Nubachia says, is the sin of the servants of your father's God is the one they committed against their brother. That last part is a little bit hard to uh, to parse out, that last, his summary. <laughs> but what I believe is being said here is that it's not just forgiveness to Joseph, that the brothers feel this need to also bring in God, right? That's why they bring up in these last four verses here this... Um, uh, am I a substitute to God, right? He's picking up on their need for him to be something higher than just than just himself and then just their brother. And so this, this forgiveness 
peace that the brothers are after here seems to also be a deeper guilt that they have with God and not just with Joseph. And the reason I called this forgiveness or just moving on is because Joseph doesn't allow for that. Joseph doesn't allow for the forgiveness, whether between him and the brothers, but definitely not to go as deeply as to forgive Joseph so that God can forgive the brothers. And the fact that Rabbeinu Bache picks up on that I thought was brilliant because there, as Brandt said, there's something, when you're asking for forgiveness, you're not just saying, tell me, tell me sorry. Right? You're looking for a, you're looking for a behavior change. You're looking for something to actually shift. And in the brother's case, they wanted to believe that that was also their connection to God, according to Rabbeinu Bachia, which I, which I'm um, agreeing with. So uh, there's, there's a piece here that, that doesn't get resolved. There's no resolution, right? The brothers and Joseph seem to play nicely, but there's not any resolution to their behavior, nor to how the brothers treated them, nor to how Jake, uh, Joseph, excuse me, is referring to their behavior. The brothers don't feel consoled and Joseph definitely hasn't been, you know, been told that they are sorry for their behavior in a way that makes him want to forgive them. So they just kind of are, they just kind of live in existence of one another. And this is why I think this last phrase of Aydaber al-Libam is really interesting because it doesn't say, and he forgave them. It says he spoke on their heart, right? He, he spoke to them. He spoke to who they are and who he wanted to see himself in them as being, but it wasn't, there was no forgiveness. And this is the end of Brashit. So we have to then wonder, is there ever forgiveness? Do we get forgiveness when we move on to the story of Moshe? Does somehow it all get resolved in the different tribes and all those kinds of things later on? It's an interesting, it leaves us on this real kind of um, unknown ending of what this cliffhanger of what what's to come next. Are we the ones to look for that resolution? Is there no such thing as resolution? Um, so I just, I, I found this fascinating. I wanted to bring it to you because I think that it allows us to, to look through the lens of Vayechi, of this week's Parsha, in a very different way if we have this story in mind. It's not the center of the Parsha, but to me, it is the center of kind of how everything else flows around it, both the beginning of the Parsha and the end, and how the brothers end up in really just living in, in being with one another. Does anybody have any final final thoughts on that before we go into Mariv? Yeah, Marshall. Well, Joseph had to cry, and it's like the, the floodgates mm. of emotion started opening. Yeah. He realized that, okay, what, what would happen if his brothers said, if he said, I forgive you, yeah. or his brothers said, I'm sorry for what we did to you? You know, what's it going to prove? Right. But, jo- but Joseph is saying, I, I myself have to move on. I'm the, I'm the most powerful guy here. In Egypt, and I realize I, my own health will depend upon my reestablishing contact with people who are my family, right. not with those who are in power here in Egypt. Yeah, which we then see later on, right? When he dies, he is surrounded by his family. 
Right. And is that is that a message of forgiveness or is that a message of exactly what you're saying, Marshall, which is he makes sure that there are ties deep enough to have them there, but that forgiveness was never going to get them anywhere. It was it was too far gone. They just needed to be able to sustain life with one another. Okay. Yeah, Joanna. I'm wondering if there's like a certain contrast here between the very beginning of this whole Joseph narrative and the end around those first dreams that Joseph had um, with the sheaves of wheat and then especially the sun, the moon and the stars, because to be in control of nature, to be in control of what the sun, the moon and the stars will do is to be, quote unquote, somewhat godlike, right? And all of a sudden here, there's a certain humbleness, a certain realization on Joseph's part that maybe he had a piece to play in all of this also. How he treated the brothers early on, you know, there was a piece there that he needed to own up to. So when he says, have no fear, am I a substitute for God? Joseph is perhaps showing that he has learned that lesson. Wow. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a connection in terms of what is happening, right? His dreams come to be reality. But that's a that is a beautiful way of thinking about how they see him and how he then sees himself in connection to them um, through those dreams. That would take that would be a beautiful, a beautiful way of looking at this Joseph story next year of taking the first part of the story and the last part of the story and comparing them and seeing kind of where the growth has come and where it's lacked. Uh, because as we know in this story, it's also lacked quite a bit. Um, huh, I like that a lot. Thank you for sharing that. Any other final thoughts? Yes, Gary. <laughs> Hi. Um, oh, Marlies, yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I, just did, sorry. I just did the hand. He's, 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 large Gary hand so yeah, he's like my messenger um, so no I was just thinking about how with when Judah and the previous Parsha and it's they don't know it's Joseph at the point where he talks about how we can't take we can't leave Benjamin yeah with you and it seems like such a showing like a moment of teshuva and showing that he's like aware of the impact that their actions have had earlier but he's only able to do that when he doesn't know that it's Joseph. Whereas in this setting there, they all, everyone knows who each other is. And it's, it, it doesn't have the same yeah. sort of uh, open openness and uh, I don't know. Yeah. Which is, which goes back also to the dreams, right? They're so quick to make those, um, to make those assumptions and, uh, and point fingers when they know who he is and it's easy to make fun of him and, oh, this is my brother. Whereas when they didn't know, they had much more kind of respect and um, an awareness almost of how they were treating another human being. And then interestingly, they kind of have a mixture of that at the end. Uh, yeah, fascinating. You're all thinking about this Parsha so deeply. I love it. Yeah, Marshall. Uh, just go back to the word tachat, yes. which of course it, you're translating here as in place of. Yeah. But, but you made the re- since you made the reference here in the Rabbeinu Bachia to Bavakama, yeah. we know that's where it talks about ayin tachat ayin, yeah. an eye for an eye, uh-huh. not an eye and a leg, right. not an eye and an arm, but an eye for an eye. So there has to be some measure of equality mm-hmm. in the the reconciliation here. 
And Joseph doesn't see any way of working that through. Therefore, the tears start coming. He says, let's just move on. That's all. Right. No, that's beautiful. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, That is, it's a great drush in the making. (laughs) It's a a beautiful, beautiful connection. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.org.